Hello, welcome, and bonjour. My name is Josh Zucker, and I want to take you on a journey through some of the most exciting events of the late Middle Ages. Valois Burgundy was one of the medieval world's greatest polities, and its legacy can still be felt today. Its dukes inherited, conquered, and politicked their way into forging a state between the German Empire and the Kingdom of France that rivaled them both. From the Hundred Years' War to Hanseatic merchants, from urban workers to Joan of Arc, and from gallant knights to gunpowder weapons, the Grand Dukes of the West had a part to play in almost all of Western Europe's biggest developments in the 14th and 15th centuries. If you want to learn more about the glamorous rise and dramatic fall of the Valois Dukes of Burgundy, please join me for Grand Dukes of the West, a history of Valois Burgundy. Hello and welcome to Pontifex. I'm Fry. And I'm Brie, ranking all of the popes from Peter to Francis. And this is a very special bonus episode, and we are talking about the Cadaver Synod. And we are not alone today. Without further ado, let me introduce the host of Popular History and Cardinal Numbers and our illustrious and masochistic editor, Greg Gassman. Hello, Greg. <laughs> Hello, good to be here. So tell us about you and your shows. Well, um, yeah, I got really into podcasting, uh, thanks to Mike Duncan, and then thanks to a whole lot of other podcasters, including Brian Fry of uh, Pontifax. Oh, shucks. I don't know them. Then I got into the Rexypods, and then eventually, <laughs> I mean, my goodness, it is definitely a bug that some people catch, and I definitely caught it. And actually, you know, before I was, you know, really going that far into all the listening, basically, as soon as I found out about the idea of podcasts, I was like, this is something that I want to do. And so I started thinking about the only thing I really wanted to do it on was Pope stuff. And so I was like, okay, well, are there other Pope podcasts out there? And you guys popped up, uh, Steve Guerrero popped up. I'm just like, okay, what's out there? You know, what can I do? And what's similar? So I was like, okay, I will take a look at history kind of with a papal view, because I don't want to just be talking about history of the Popes, because... Other people appear to be covering that, and that was not a surprise to me. But uh, I just figured I'd have some fun, you know, maybe do a quick introductory episode, and uh, get off to just looking at different aspects of history through what I call Pope Color Glasses. I mean, part two, coming up on part three of the 19th episode of that introduction. <laughs> so that's uh, that's gone great, about three years in. <laughs> so eventually I will uh, start off of my originally intended project. Uh, but in the meantime, it has just been uh, exploring kind of Catholicism for beginners, um, just because I don't want to have everyone sort of have to just kind of jump in with that pre-existing knowledge or like go to church and ask them about it. Um, I just figured I'd just go ahead and have some fun looking through all of that so we can all start at the same place. And then as I continued, I was like, you know what? There's a lot of this cool Rexypod like ranking stuff. What? Yeah. Yeah. And what am I a big nerd about? Well, I'm not only a big nerd about popes, but my original, original idea for a podcast was on papal transitions. So there's a lot of stuff about the cardinals in there. So that's where the idea for cardinal numbers came about. And that's going to be launching uh, June 29th is the plan. So, Heard it here first. <laughs> yes. Bree mentioned uh, masochism in my uh, description, and that's fair <laughs> enough because I am aspiring to have cardinal numbers be a daily show. Oh. Um, we will see how that goes. <laughs> uh, yeah, just little snippets. And people think we're insane for doing all 266 popes. Have fun with that. I, there's only about 4,000 or so. Exactly. <laughs> anybody could do it. Not anybody would want to. True. <laughs> but anyways, today we are going to talk about something else because we are going to dig into... <laughs> The Cadaver Synod all over again. Redig into. Redig into. It's beautiful. <laughs> Come on. If there's any topic you need to dig up more than once. Absolutely. And as you will no doubt remember in our last episode, in January of 897, Pope Stephen VI completely unhinged in his hatred of Pope Formosus and desperate to quash doubts about his papal legitimacy dug up the corpse of his predecessor, Pope Formosus, and put the body on trial. 
this Cenotis Horrenda, as they called it, ended with Formosus posthumously found guilty on charges of perjury, violating canon law, performing duties that he'd been deposed from, holding a bigamous diocese, and arcane offensive. The body was then stripped of papal vestments and desecrated with the removal of his blessing fingers, which is a great band name, by the way, <laughs> Blessing Fingers. <laughs> blessing Fingers sounds really dirty. So dirty. <laughs> then the body was buried in a pauper's grave and then re-dug up and thrown in the Tiber River, of course. And destroyed for New St. Peter's. <laughs> again, again. Where is the car park that has all of these popes whose tombs <laughs> were destroyed for New St. Peter's? Could you imagine? Oh, it is a large car park. That would be like an archaeological dream. Slash nightmare, all them bones. I'd be flying out to Rome tomorrow and be like, let me on the site. Anyways, all of Formosus's ordinations were invalidated and Stephen felt that he was more secure as Pope now. Of course, everyone else felt rather differently. So clearly, this is one of the most bizarre and therefore most famous moments in all of church history. And as a result, it has been a huge piece of the popular imagination ever since. And what that means is it's also a source of inspiration for all sorts of things. Paintings, plays, poems, music, and so much more. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. We have collected a handful of our favorite cadaver synod themed or adjacent materials to discuss and review. And since there are three of us, and we want to have more fun discussing the bizarre ins and outs of all of these things, because they are truly bizarre, we're just going to rate each thing out of 10 based on how much we enjoyed it. So is it a good rendition? And was it a lot of fun? That's basically just going to give us a score out of 10. But before we get into the renditions of the Cadaver Synod, we should first look at how the sources both contemporary and secondary, describe the event. You know, for accuracy's sake, right? So for this collection, I have brought three historical sources from varying time periods to see how this thing ages. Like a fine wine or like a corpse, right? <laughs> um, one of those is rotting. Both of them are technically rotting. <laughs> one of them is more expensive when it rots. I mean, it's still rotting. <laughs> They're all still rotting. And you say one of them is more expensive, but you may remember there was a whole practice in Victorian England of consuming mummies. They were pretty expensive at that time. Gosh, so I forgot. I forgot people were eating mummies. <laughs> or they just crushed them up to make paint because, you know, logic. Oh, not to sniff the mummies? We're not snorting mummies here? Oh, I'm certain that they did some snorting of mummies. There was mummy snuff, I can guarantee it. <laughs> Without a doubt. If they were making mummy brown paint, they were also sniffing it up their nose as fast as they could. So, historical sources. First, we have, of course, Lutprand of Cremona from his Retributions. Lutprand was born in 920 and the Cadaver Synod was in 897. So he's about as contemporary as we're able to get for this. 30 years later. Yeah, exactly. It's like my children trying to discuss the 90s with me. <laughs> Does that just hurt your soul? It does. I talked to somebody who was too young to have seen Jurassic Park the other day, and I was like, oh. Mm. <laughs> that made me feel old. It made you feel some kind of way. <laughs> Once appointed... As if impious and ignorant of holy doctrines, Stephen ordered Formosus to be extracted from his tomb and placed on the seat of the Roman pontiffs, dressed in his priestly attire. To him he said, When were you bishop of Porto? Why did you usurp the universal Roman see in a spirit of ambition? Once these things were done, he ordered the corpse, stripped of its holy vestments and with three fingers cut off, to be tossed into the Tiber, and after degrading them to their former stations, he again ordained all those whom Formosus had ordained. And how badly he acted in this you may realize in this detail, since even those who before the betrayal received greeting or apostolic blessing from Judas, the betrayer of our Lord Jesus Christ, were not at all deprived of these after the betrayal and suicide by hanging, except those whom wicked crimes perhaps had defiled. 
Of what great authority and observance Pope Formosus was, we may deduce from this, that when his body was later found by fishers and taken to the church of Blessed Peter, Prince of the Apostles, certain images of saints greeted him reverently when he was placed in the tomb. For this fact I heard repeated often by very observant men of the city of Rome. So that is our closest account that we get. And it's from Lutprand, so it gives all the drama, and it also gives us the miracle. Did they take his body out of the river? They did, yes. They fished him out. <laughs> and then destroyed it for a new St. Peter's? <laughs> yes, that too. <laughs> I love that you've now become as salty about this as I have. <laughs> I mean, you, you keep saying it. It keeps happening. Um, okay, so they carried him into they carried him into the church, and uh, then something sang. The saints miracles. greeted him reverently. Mm, yes. you've got to love when your best source gives you miracles right in there. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Thirty years after the fact, that's pretty contemporary for the ninth century. Actually, he would have been like 10. It would have been like 40 years after the fact. It's called the Dark Ages for the reason. We know more about this than we do about a lot of things going on. That's fair. So for our second source, we have Bartolomeo Platina, a humanist writer and historian born in 1421, and his account from The Lives of the Popes. Platina is writing almost 600 years after the Cadaver Synod, which means he writes with all of the knowledge of how this event impacted church history for several hundred years. And as we keep saying on the show, he's so mad about it. He's so mad about it. He's the one who calls them dogs to eat their own (laughs) vomit, right? Well, he definitely referred to them as dogs, but he's very mad about them undoing each other all of the time. (laughs) Who yelled at them about eating their vomit? That was a really long time. The the dog vomit thing is a Bible thing that pops up. (laughs) That was like early church when they were talking about heresy. Yeah. That was a heresy thing in the in the monophysitism age. Fair. So here's his account. And hence it was that Stephen, because Formosus had injured him before this desired dignity, exercised his rage even upon his dead body. For Martin the historian says he hated him to that degree, that in a council which he held, he ordered the body of Formosus to be dragged out of the grave, to be stripped of his pontifical habit, and put into that of a layman and then to be buried among secular persons, having first cut off those two fingers of his right hand, which are principally used by priests in consecration, and throw them into the Tiber. Because contrary to his oath, as he said, he had returned to Rome and exercised his sacerdotal function, from which Pope John had legally degraded him. This proved a great controversy, and a very ill example, for the succeeding popes made it almost a constant custom either to break or abrogate the acts of their predecessors, which was certainly far different from the practice of any of those good popes whose lives we have written. This is the source of all of his rage. Okay, so that one said they took two fingers, and the one before (laughs) said they took three. I assume the third finger is the thumb, and that's where we're getting issues. Generally speaking, because it's the two that are in the blessing, and the thumb is involved. If you look at Pope's doing the blessing. Usually the thumb is extended. But it was definitely three. So two fingers is more accurate. And he seems the kind of guy who would be petty about that. Fingers and the thumb. thumb. is not a finger. Mm. (laughs) Salty Bartolomeo. And finally, I have the account of Horace Kinderman, who wrote in the 19th century and is a renowned source on Popedom. Are you serious that his middle name is Kinder? Yes, I've definitely told you that before. <laughs> no, you only call him the Horace K. Man. Or Hoary Man. <laughs> it is, in fact, Kinder. Hoary Man. Hoary Man. Horace the Baby Man. <laughs> Horace Child Man. <laughs> Beautiful. The body of the unfortunate Formosus, still more or less entire, but of course half corrupt, was disinterred and dragged before the assembly. Clad in full pontificals, the corpse was placed upon a seat, and a deacon was assigned to defend the accused pontiff. A formal charge was brought against him. When once disposed, he ought not to have performed the functions of his office, and if he did, he ought not to have passed from one see to another. On these counts, Formosus was condemned. 
if the Bishop of Rome, urges the Invectiver, is not to be judged by any one during his life, after his life is he to be judged by any one? When put to the question, what reply did he make? Had he made answer, that horrible assembly would have broken up in abject terror and fled from the place one after another, and the Lord God would have said for Moses, who have condemned thee, to this he would have said, No man, Lord, and the Lord would have added, Neither will I condemn thee. However, by the synod of Pope Stephen, Formosus was anathematized, and his ordinations declared null and void. Then was his dead body subjected to the most barbarous violence. It was stripped of its sacred vestments, down to the very hair-shirt with which the unfortunate pontiff had mortified his body in life. Clad then in the garments of a layman, the body, after two fingers of the right hand had been cut off, was buried by the order of Stephen, in some place reserved for the burial of pilgrims. It was even said that when the body was being dragged forth for burial, fresh blood flowed out of its mouth onto the pavement. At this point, our authorities, among whom up to this there has been an awful agreement, part company. While some, as Auxilius, state that Stephen himself, after a short time, ordered the body of his predecessor to be once more exhumed and then thrown into the Tiber, the ninth canon of council, so frequently cited, makes out with great probability that this last outrage was due to treasure-seekers, who some time later had violated the tomb in hope of finding valuables there within. So this account adds a lot to the story. I do like this account. It has some good $10 words in it. Does it also asks like, hey, if the body actually defended itself, everyone would be terrified. Yeah, people are gonna scream and run, trample each other through the doors. No. Also, right at the beginning, there they were talking like, oh, of course the course was half corrupt. Imagine, just imagine for a moment, if Stephen was there like raging and he's like, all right, guys, <laughs> dig up Formosus. We're putting this corpse on trial. I don't care. Imagine if he was like completely incorrupt. Just absolutely, like, obvious saint signs. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> oh my goodness. One of the what ifs. Well, Fry knows how much I, I love hate, the idea of incorrupt. I hate incorrupt. I, I would make an exception in this case just to see oh. the look on Steven's face. I would love that so much. Oh, to see, yeah. They'd be like, oh, he oh. dug up this pope and then... He was perfect. I guess you gotta canonize him now. <laughs> You're not finding the man guilty after that. <laughs> I I think it's funny uh, that they're like, we're not sure if Stephen dug him back up and threw him back in the river or if thieves did it. Yeah, if they were treasure hunting and just went, oh, this body, get it out of the way. <laughs> I'm surprised we haven't had more like thieves getting into the Pope tombs, although I guess, again, we already know that the Pope tombs got destroyed anyways so oh they do oh yeah they absolutely do there is there is a pope recovered i off the top of my head i can't tell you which one who had to make it a law because every time a pope died oh yeah the they lateran was getting, getting completely raided it was like the poor pharaohs <laughs> very very much exactly that because apparently this is this is not something that has gone away with thousands of years of history so those are our historical accounts. We're not going to rate them because they're just here to provide context, but we will look at some of the secondary sources that Greg has brought now for comparison's sake. Oh my goodness. So Greg did not do a terribly good job preparing for this, um, but Greg did send you a link to uh, one of the uh, better known secondary sources, aka the Encyclopedia Britannica. The thing to keep in mind when looking at any sort of like encyclopedia or dictionary is that you know as much as we like to give these um full gravitas and accept them as authorities i will tell you as a librarian you have to check multiple sources for everything and don't just trust it just because it's in the encyclopedia 
that said, um, this one worked out pretty well. Britannica's pretty solid with their stuff. I was disappointed because this was one of the first places I checked for, you know, our Formosus in Media project. And they have a lovely little button on this site called See All Media. So for a moment, I was like, maybe I'll just click and I'll have all the media for Formosus gathered up in one place. It does not work like that. That was a split second of my brain. I don't know what I was thinking, but it turns out that Alt See All Media just takes you to the one picture that they have of the cadaver synod in their files, which is one of two pictures that pretty much anyone has in terms of representations. And I'm sure, Bree, that that particular picture is on your list. Yep, we're definitely going to be rating it soon. <laughs> yes. So I think we're going to have a roundup of these different, uh, just different materials to be looking at in the uh, show notes for people to click and kind of peruse. Um, I do like the list of just all of the popes and anti-popes that pops up when you scroll down. Unfortunately, I realized after scrolling down with my initial journey, again, I am a a little bit more haphazard than I probably should be with some of my uh, initial investigations, but that's just related articles popping up as you scroll down the page. So the Formosa summary on Britannica is reasonably straightforward. I didn't catch anything that, you know, popped up as particularly controversial. You guys, let's go ahead and practice our rating. How do you like the Encyclopedia Britannica? <laughs> okay, let's see. Um... So I, I like that this is this is, when I'm starting to work on a pope, generally speaking, I love to get just that little snippet. And even though it's not going to inform my research, per se, it gives me an idea of what all my bullet points should be for a pope. And this is a good one. It gives us a lot of details. It tells it goes straight into all about Formosus and his previous excommunications. So I like that. I also am very intrigued as I'm going down this list of popes because they don't really specify until you click on them whether they're anti-popes or not. So it's it's somewhat hilariously misleading. Like, yeah, we definitely had a pope called Albert <laughs> at some point, according to this list. Yeah, I can only give it a five because it's sort of like run of the mill for me. I got excited about the idea of see all media and it let me down. So it's not getting a higher score than that. Fry, how do you feel about Britannica? Uh, I mean, I can also give it a five. There's not there's not a lot happening, but it does tell you what you need to know. I am very sad that they're not like, oh, look at all this fun stuff related to it, like a Wikipedia page would. But, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, could you imagine? If it had given us all of the all of the things we tracked down for this episode, just right there, right yeah. Oh, yes. So for my part, um, it is not the uh, not the most exciting of uh, encyclopedia articles. <laughs> um, not exactly teaching the controversy. Not that there's much controversy here in terms of what happened, especially because we've just got the one source. Um, but. I, I got to give it a little bit more than the middle of the road, just with my my librarian heart. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and give this encyclopedia entry a six. Fair. Not exactly moving mountains, but yeah, got to give it a little something. So that brings us to a a very visual category, which is always super fun on a podcast. But there's there's lots to talk about here. So we are going to talk about some of the most famous art pieces that have been produced about the cadaver synod. And so the first one is, of course, the most famous from 1870 by Jean-Paul Lorraine called Pope Formosus and Stephen VI, the Cadaver Synod. It is at the Musée des Beaux-Arts in Nantes, and it is the painting you have definitely seen if you have Googled the Cadaver Synod. Fry, you have that document. It'll have all the paintings. I do. Yeah. I see it. I'm I making a beggar. There it's we go. also the same oh, one in the Britannica so article for what it's worth. Yes, definitely. Yeah. It's the one. I love it, though. <laughs> it is such a good painting. Now, what's interesting about this painting is that the Cadaver Synod painting, this one in particular, was made in the year 
that the kingdom of Italy underwent what is called the capture of Rome. So this is when the papal states and temporal power of the Pope was effectively ended. This is where we see the papal states no longer being a thing and the idea of the Pope as a sovereign not really being a thing anymore, at least until the establishment of Vatican City. So there's a lot of political upcharge happening around Rome and Italy at the time that this was painted. And I think you can tell because this is definitely one of those moments where we're looking at the degradation of the papacy, right? And he has captured this with the cadaver synod in all of its unholy, horrible glory. It's it's really well done. I like that he still has a beard, but he you can see his like skull teeth. I, I love there's so much I love about this painting. I love the drama of it. Steven just looks the pointing. pointing. Yeah. You've I got like... Deacon John Wick there. <laughs> he does look like John Wick. For sure. He definitely doesn't look like a teenage boy in this one, which is great. The vestments masking the zombiness is nice. That's good. I like that there's a incense burner, but also like several piles of flowers. <laughs> He's stinky. Gotta, oh, gotta yeah. help that smell. I didn't even notice the flowers at first, but yes, they've definitely given him flowers. They are they are covering up the scent. That's nice. My favorite part of this painting, though, without a doubt, is the fact that Formosus, this dead body, they've they've positioned him so docilely. He's got his little hands together. And he just looks like really chill, like he's listening to a story. And it's not like, you know, it's not a dilapidated dead body. He's just like, I'm here. No. He's not being yelled at. <laughs> yeah, he looks completely unfazed. The way he's like reclining, like, it just seems like he's got headphones on. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I get. He's got his AirPods I, in. To me, it gives the impression of like a grandparent who's come to watch their grandchild perform at some sort of school recital. You know, you're just like. Very docile. Yes. You have to pretend you're enjoying every moment of what's going on. <laughs> Calm and serene. It, it's a vibe, and I love it. So this one's going to score really highly. But I will go last. So, Greg, what's your rating for the Jean-Paul Laurent painting? Oh, my goodness. Um, I will give it an eight, because I do like it. Um, of the, of the, they could have picked a worse portrayal to have be the default. Mm -hmm. um, for everyone i do want to know if after he was condemned they were like and you can't have these flowers anymore because i know they didn't they didn't mix the vestments but what about the flowers i gotta know <laughs> well he was going to a pauper's grave paupers aren't buried with flowers they're too poor yeah, but I, I gotta i gotta admit one of those points at least is for deacon john wick um, i gotta know like did he like it's like oh no you did this to my pope he looks deeply unimpressed so what was your number uh, eight. Eight. Okay. Fry? Um, I want to, I love the colors and I love everything about this. Like those scandalized um, cardinals in the background. <laughs> there are so many. They all have a different scandalized expression mm -hmm. too. Like, oh, just so good. Um, I think I'm going to give it a nine. I think I'm going to match your nine because the only thing that could be better about this is if it were funny. But it's an as an actual like full appreciation of the event. It is the best we have, and so it's it's definitely a nine. So our second one is entirely different. It is a 19th century illustration called the Posthumous Trial of Pope Formosus. We have sourced it from Alamy. The artist is unfortunately unknown, but it is definitely different because in this one, Stephen looks like he's gonna punch the Pope and. He's going to hit him. Formosus is straight up naked, <laughs> which is a choice. Does that guy have a knife? Straight he up does... naked and not dead for nine months. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He's not very decomposed for nine months. Maybe this is the yeah. incorruptibility. Like, this is a cause for canonization. Yeah, definitely. They're going to cut off his fingies. But yes, he does have a knife and he is reaching for that hand. He's about to take off those blessing fingers. I... These cardinals look less scandalized and more annoyed. The one guy there is just like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he definitely he didn't see this coming, but he's also not as 
appalled and scandalized as we've seen before. The one guy whose full profile doesn't look that impressed at all. No, he doesn't want to be here. This meeting could have been an email. <laughs> it feels like big deal. I've seen corpses put on trial a hundred times. Is is that the emperor? That's I almost feel like that's the emperor. It does have a very imperial bearing, but the emperor was definitely in no shape to be there. So. Oh, yes. Yes. The wormies. I love the guy that's fully in shadow. <laughs> the blob? <laughs> Blob man. <laughs> Potato man, yeah. <laughs> so how do we feel score-wise about this one? Oh, I think I can only give this one a six. That's what I was going to say, so I guess I'll keep playing it. A six? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give it a seven just because I like the weird addition. Like is the wrong word. I think it's interesting because they have this naked body that they're just about to punch and desecrate, and it feels weird. <laughs> they're, d- they're doing a thing. Yeah. It's... <laughs> I looked at this one when I was looking for paintings and renditions and illustrations of this event. This one kind of stuck out at me. I kept coming back to it and going, huh, that artist made some choices. And so it gets a seven from me. The third one we have is from 1892. It's just called The Cadaver Synod. This is an engraving from a book called The Middle Ages by Francesco Bertolini, with illustrations by Ludovico Pogliani. So this one, the body is definitely dead. Yeah, that's a dead body. <laughs> it has straight up zombie Pope feels. It's a Simpsons corpse, I it, feel like. Yes, <laughs> yeah, it it's definitely a Simpsons corpse. Steven doesn't look much like a Pope. No, he just looks like, he kind of looks like, the sheriff of Nottingham or something. <laughs> yes, that's exactly it. And he's doing sort of a, he's doing a behold gesture instead of an angry point or a punchy. Like he looks a lot less unhinged in this one. <laughs> the deacon looks like he's starting to decompose. <laughs> I mean, that's just Pope Joan. <laughs> <laughs> it looks a little like Pope Joan. It does. This one, though, you do get a lot more of, like, the horror of the crowd. There's two people that are like, whoa, hang on a second. Super yelling. <laughs> Hands are out, like, stop what you're doing. So this one gives a good audience vibe, but I'm scoring it lower because Steven isn't unhinged enough. Mm. I-, I couldn't even tell it was Steven. Yeah. No, I like the guy who's leaning forward in the front. Yeah, Exactly. The guy leaning, like like Fry said, the guy leaning forward in front seems to have more command over this painting than. Yeah, and he is not Stephen. And he is not. He's just like, huh? <laughs> that is a very scandalized monk. Yeah. So I'll give this one like a four. Yeah, I'm thinking like a three here. Yeah. It doesn't have as much, I don't know, movement. It doesn't have as much pizzazz. Yeah. It is lacking in the pizzazz category. So I, I must be in a good mood tonight because I am willing to go a little bit higher. Um, not, you know, not high, but uh, literally the reason for that is the higher part of the painting. Because this is taking place at mm-hmm. the Lateran, right? And the thing that struck me the one time I managed to get to the Lateran was kind of the scale of it and like specifically mm-hmm. the height. And I like that this one actually conveys that. Like, you see up into the roof a good point. Um, rafters, which is kind of a weird thing to emphasize. But, you know, that raises it all the way up to a five for me. <laughs> That's the thing <laughs> that they shouldn't be emphasizing. Well, and, and yet. Well, yeah, well, I, I'm not, I, I don't have art history background. I just have a, I like, I like, I like a little bit of a difference to it. No, I, I, it's, it's a very good point. Although it does bring me to raise the objection that, at this point, when this is happening, the Lateran is so derelict, it's about to collapse very soon after. So this looks like a nicely maintained oh, right. building. Right. Those those rafters should be a lot more more janky. <laughs> exactly. So I, I like your point, but it's not an accurate The Talus Rankium would be talking about the nervous <laughs> goats. Yeah, there are no goats. The goats have long since packed up and left. So our fourth image that we have here is from the... History of the Popes by Maurice Le Chartre, and it doesn't say who did the illustration, 
But this one is also sourced from Alamy, and unfortunately, that means that there's also a watermark right over Zombie Pope's face. Right in his face. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. And it's literally just the letter A on his face. I love it. It has the dynamism we're looking for. It has Stephen looking unhinged, but also very popely. It has a, a clearly dead Pope, but everything about it is wrong. I really don't like this one. <laughs> the decorations on the outside, the filigree, mm-hmm. is more exciting than the picture itself. Absolutely. Like, I was going to ask if we were including the filigree with the uh, with the ranking. You, you can. Because those trumpets. I man. know. The, the actual decoration of the book is quite beautiful with the vines. And there are two angels. It's, it's quite beautiful. But that just makes the internal image look worse because it's it's not good. Steven's miter looks like a satellite. <laughs> he looks <laughs> like he's probably about 500 pounds with the way that it's sitting around him. Formosus is just kind of a deflating balloon. I was going to say, I can't tell if it's the vestments or if he's in a chair. Like, is, is he sitting? No, he's just. Formosus is definitely sitting. He's just deflated, deflated but like Stephen, like his vestments are like wire frames, man. No, he he's wearing every vestment he owns. (laughs) He's like like Joey from Friends. (laughs) (laughs) And then the the there's this miter in the front. It's it's center of the painting, and it's a it's on a bishop that's full profile, and it is has been drawn so dumb. That I can't stop looking at it. It just looks like I, my eyes went yes, right. It to looks it. like yeah. a serving fork that you poke turkey with on Thanksgiving, and I hate it. But why? I hate that. That's where our eye is drawn. That's not. That's not where it's supposed to go. We should be focusing on <laughs> this one's. I, I actually thought that was Stephen initially. Right. It. But then you look and you're like, oh, that thing on his head. That's a potato. Because I was like, all right, like, whiteness, miter. And then I was like, oh, no, 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 that's just random dude who's stealing the scene. (laughs) (laughs) Also, like, his one hand is like, whoa. And then his other hand is like, woo. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, it's, it's, nothing about it is good. That's a pretty limp point with the other hand. Like, what are you doing? I don't know what he's doing. That's creation of Adam. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I'm not here for any of this. And there are also a lot of potato people in this. <laughs> <laughs> None of them are scandalous. They're only potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> so it gets like a two from me. Yeah, I really have to go with like a two. What about Greg? I do appreciate that everyone with a miter on is uh, seems to be, you know, mad either at Steven or at Formosus. Um Mostly mad at Formosus, especially weird dude with the weird miter. But like the people that don't have the miters, like what I assume are like common folks, they are one hundred percent mad at Steven. How can you yeah. tell? They're, they're just like, what potatoes. Are you doing? <laughs> they're potatoes who are looking at. Uh, the, yeah. There's a couple of angry potatoes, <laughs> and then some vague shapes. But also, like I think that's a pole arm behind them. So I feel like you do get a sense of the mob. Um, so. But yeah, that said, I think I'm going to have to join in on the two because it's whatever. Formosus is just asleep. It's not a one (laughs) because it's still like you can you can see what's going on, but that's all it has going for it. Potatoes. When someone told them to draw the cadavers in it, you can tell that they knew what that was. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so finally, we have sort of a political cartoon from 1857. This was illustrated by Hippolyte Magen, who was a French historian who mostly wrote about Napoleon and the consulate and the Second Empire. So I'm not exactly sure why he's illustrated this, but there's something about it that feels crazy modern. It feels like someone's comic sketch. Yeah. Uh, Mm. Okay, so we've got, he's so stinky that he needs so much incense. So much incense. We are talking like dry ice levels of incense here. They got out the big thurible for this one. We have literally four. I don't know what these, what are these things that kind of look like crutches or stirrups? What's going on with those? 
They're definitely the, incense uh, holders of stuff. More incense? Yeah. At one, th- at one second, I thought they were muskets when you were talking about, like, you know, distinctly modern. I was like, oh, yeah. Guns. <laughs> incense guns. <laughs> um, And, like, Formosus looks like he just drank too much and, like, passed out. And Steven's going to come up and... Yeah, that's why look. Steven's mad, is because he's just <laughs> passed out. He's going to slap him awake. Yeah. <laughs> it, it definitely doesn't look like a dead body. He looks like he's sleeping with his eyes open. But yeah, it's it's different than all of the other ones. And my favorite part of this picture is definitely the man in the right corner who's seated, but he's leaning so sideways. He's, he's going, leaning so he can see. He's he like, is perilous. What? I was going to say, so, yeah. I just love, I love the vibe, the shock and horror on his face. He's trying to get a view beyond Steven. That's what's going on. Yeah, definitely. Every But everyone in this has a good level of horror especially on the right side the people on the left are too in shadow to really know but potatoes more yeah there are a lot of potatoes but these potatoes seem to have more emotion than even in the last one (laughs) i'm telling you i still see angry potatoes i don't know (laughs) i like the point on the one guy on the right like the second most defined guy which is not a high bar (laughs) (laughs) you can see his point more than you can see his face True, but he's definitely got one of those chin strappy beards. We know this. <laughs> yeah, he's got a neck beard. Mm-hmm. This is a four for me. I I think I'm gonna give this one a five. Okay, because it looks so silly. <laughs> it is silly. What about you, Greg? Oh, I, I think I think I'll go ahead and go a a four. Okay. So then, this is where you can take over and do music. Yeah, that's that's what's on the list. If you scroll down through the list, go ahead and click that YouTube link. Give that a, a quick listen, because basically the first five seconds kind of gets you a feel. And then if you skip through to about halfway through, it gets uh, it gets different. It shifts. Um, and I just kind of want your your reaction to this, because like none of the things really seem to have a lot of lyrics like specific to the cadavers in it. It wasn't like that one you know album that someone made kind of walking through uh, Belisarius. Um, that okay. someone featured, but uh, this this is just sort of inspired by the idea of Pope Formosus because there definitely is sort of like a heavy metal, almost noise like music commentary is not necessarily my thing, but this was sort of striking. So it started really cool. I kind of liked how creepy it was. Now it's going somewhere different. It goes in a direction. Okay. Jump about halfway through. I'm waiting for the jump. So for anybody who wants to listen along, this is Star Fetchers Pilot OST Cadaver Synod Constro Buzz. Oh, oh, I think I hit the part where it's changing. Oh boy, nope. that was rough. Oh, nope. That was rough. Yep, that was sea bat rough. I, I'm just gonna say I was not expecting this to get tens. It just sounds like something's gone terribly wrong with the file. This <laughs> <laughs> is their equipment. <laughs> that was my first thought i I, I literally like hit refresh and tried to figure out what was going on (laughs) it does sound exactly like a catastrophic audio error (laughs) (laughs) i mean i have to give this a one i cannot i will never listen to this again i mean catastrophic error that is kind of the formosus vibe true true i think i think i'm here with with fry in the sense that um, if it had been the first five seconds, I was like, oh, this is going somewhere. I could have given it like a four, maybe a five, mm-hmm. sort of seeing where it could have gone. But then it just sounds like I'm listening to a mistake and not music. <laughs> That's got to be a one. A lot of the Pope Formosus slash Cadaver Synod inspired music that I came across kind of goes in that direction. Um, so. <laughs> a lot of musical Broken. mistakes yeah. <laughs> amazing i love that this has inspired a genre of just not something you'd want to listen to because you would not want to attend the cadaver synod speaking of music you, you wouldn't want to listen to our next segment is is going to be a big one because there is a cadaver synod musical and we have all subjected ourselves to that for this episode. Oh, God. We sure did. <laughs> That's a thing we did. So oh, goodness. Let's, let's go over the background of this whole thing. The Cadaver Synod musical is the brainchild of writer Robbie Florian 
and was directed by Ryan Ammon. As I mentioned in Steven's episode, I did end up talking to Ryan, who was very nice and friendly. But given that he was more in control of the technical aspect of the show, he didn't have much to offer in the way of like inspiration or the development of the writing of the musical. He did try to put me in touch with Robbie Florian, but it just never came to fruition. And so, Robbie, if you ever hear this, we'd still love to talk to you because this guy and I talking about popes would be a wild time. I've seen his I, <laughs> promo video. I have so many questions. I know. <laughs> Me too. And we'll get there. So the idea for this musical first appeared in 2017 on Indiegogo, seeking funding to bring the production to the New York Musical Festival. The summary was presented as this. I'm going to skip over the the actual summary of the events, but it says, there are some moments in history that make you think, huh? This is one of those moments. And it's a musical now. It is. And then it, go- it goes on to describe what happens with Formosus. And it says, ultimately, Stephen had the corpse declared guilty of crimes. The body was dismembered, disrobed, and thrown in the Tiber River. If you think this is a spoiler, we assure you there is so much more to it. Why did Stephen do this? What could drive a man to execute a cadaver posthumously? And why, by all accounts, was he so very angry? Did you say 2017 is when this sort of started? Yes. I kind of had the vague feel of this is something that was inspired by the success of Hamilton. They also said, interestingly enough, that... This is in terms of why he was making the show. He also says, though the specifics of this strange historical event might seem shocking, we find a surprising amount of parallels between 897 and 2017. Spectacle over substance in political, social, and personal spheres is nothing new and has taken many shocking forms over the century. This show does not seek to proselytize, teach, or scold. We simply wish to explore the innate tendencies towards control and categorization that end up conflicting with our unique ability to show altruism and empathy, and how a few individuals navigated these trappings while living in a famously corrupt and immoral time. Oh, he was mad about Trump. Yes, very much so. His final cutoff line is, also, there's a part where the dead Pope's severed fingers come to life as a runettes and supremes type group and sing about flowers. We didn't get to see we that part. We did not get to see that part. I was robbed. I, we, the things that are lost to history, at least for the moment. For the moment. We may <laughs> we may get footage in time. I feel cheated. Robbie Florian, give me the fingies. Give me all your publicly papally approved I would like the fingy cut, please. <laughs> so this musical raised $14,000 of the hoped $60,000 but did actually go on to exist and was shown at the Acorn Theater from July 17th to the 23rd of 2017. As this implies, some of it was recorded. Yeah, when we were watching the video, I was like, there's an audience there. There is. Mm -hmm. There's an actual audience. This was the thing that happened. And because it was recorded, we got to to go down that journey. I'm sure we have a lot to say. Um, But just a a quick summary of what we saw. There were some major numbers. We saw Welcome to the Pornocracy, which is sort of the long opening number that's very weird and very disjointed. And just it was I did like the list, the list of the popes dying because that was kind of fun. Yeah. And it was also a lot of spoilers. (laughs) Yeah. Very much in like a six way. Yes. It it gives you a good sense of uh, the period. Yes. Definitely. And and they also are doing a lot of exposition. There's a whole bridge in there where they're going, we're all speaking Latin, just so you know. Then then we had Reason, which was the young lawyer who's going to have to represent Formosus, though he doesn't know it yet, singing about how important being a reasonable person is. As he writes on his bed. On his, yes, very... Um, that was a shift from the pornocracy thing. That was a shift. I was it like, how really much did was. you skip there? And it took me a really long time to figure out who the hell he was supposed to be. But it gave me very, who's the guy who did the the Harry Potter musical and that went on to Glee? Oh, God. Darren? Derek? Darren something or other. But it's very much that guy. That's that whole vibe. Then we had Stephen VI all crazy doing like a metal ballad called Got a Bone to Pick. <laughs> Then we had Formosus's ghost singing a song called Quit Beating a Dead Pope. Oh. 
And then there was a romance number called You Make Me Feel Shavable. Yeah, there was. Yeah, <laughs> there was. There was. Let's let's have the finger thing instead. Yeah, can we have the finger thing instead of you make me feel shavable? <laughs> that was um so basically for the people who didn't see it, this is a weird bit that kind of goes back in time because Formosus's ghost sings before this. And and so we know that they're 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 hinting at some sort of connection between him and Stephen prior to his death. But this number definitely implies that they are lovers. And there is a whole bit where Stephen's made the bishop and he doesn't seem all that angry about it. And then they continue to sing this song after they're both dead. So it was like, oh, maybe they're in love. But yeah, why shavable? I don't, I have- It was because it rhymed with savable. That feels like it's a line that was that was like in whoever's head, and they were like, "I got to use that sometime." And like, okay, we're writing this musical now. I can throw that into this okay. one. Like, it was just sort of it's inserted. No, I think it was sexy. because don't know why they were so excited about using that I'm, line. I'm telling you, it was supposed to be so it would rhyme with savable at the end. It did oh, absolutely. because uh, they they did. Yeah, they didn't say savable as much as shavable and. Craveable, <laughs> but it was it was supposed to be that uh, denouement or whatever that word is, but the payoff was just not there. It just yes. not enough. Yeah, no, we had to sit through shapeable. Um, <laughs> yeah, you, you got to do a lot to make up for that. <laughs> the person playing um, Stephen also looks like Carrot Top. <laughs> yes, very much so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And that was a little upsetting. Yeah, it, there there was nothing good about this whole bit. There was one more number. There was the send me away, which is the final number after they're all dead and the Lateran has collapsed. But I think after shavable, your brain has just sort of completely lost its ability to focus on this thing anymore. There was also so. um, an issue with the video itself where like you could hear everyone until the music started up loud and then the camera was like directly by wherever the music was yes so it would be like starting a number and then they would get into the bridge and then it would just be noise yeah and there was a lot of it didn't help because it also just made the singing feel like yelling i don't want to hold that against them but yes it was there It's the only footage we have until they get back in touch with us, though. So overall, I also want to point out just a couple things that stood out to me. There were some inaccuracies, obviously. They they referred to Formosus as being part mm. of pornocracy. He was not. They really wanted to just talk about the pornocracy, though. They wanted they to did. say pornocracy several times they and have really a giant did. sign that said it and flashed. They had the song planned. And then they did their research yes. and they're like, oh, crap. Oh, well. Yes, pretty much. So everybody they talked about was was after Formosus. And so therefore, a little bit of spoilers. We've covered some of those. So I hope that they'll just slide right out of Fry's head for now. Spoilers. There continue to be popes. <laughs> well, some of those deaths are pretty iconic. I'm just saying. Let's not let's not review it too detailed for Fry, but. Yeah, it it bothered me that they referred to Formosus as unanimously elected and pious because he was none of those things. And there was a whole like thing. They mentioned Bulgaria and him wanting to go back to Bulgaria, but not his excommunication, which seems ripe for the taking. Um, the There were some accuracies, though. They talked about Arnulf's eyelash lice, which I was appreciative of. <laughs> That was a weird thing. <laughs> there were some accuracies. I love it. The occasional accuracy. <laughs> and also, I think the most, most accurate part of it was that watching someone scream at a corpse is definitely as unnerving as you would think it is. I absolutely loved that he's like, what do you have to say for yourself? And then stood there for a good three minutes. Yeah, it was just awkward and awful and that was exactly what it should be that did land and yes. overall i have to say my favorite parts were there were some great 
A plus dad puns. Oh, I know. Yeah. I know where this is going. <laughs> Carcass farce. Amazing. Macabre. Yes. <laughs> yes. The macabre. So my least favorite line I learned actually wasn't the fault of the show writer because it was a quote. Um, and that quote was uh, how there was a ghastly trial once of a dead man by a live man and both popes. I was like, gosh, that gets the point across, but with an iron fist. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it turns out that that quote from The Ring Cycle by Robert Browning, which is a big old 19th century poem that is very long, and I did not want to subject you guys to it. Oh my God, it's so um, long. It includes, as part of hugeness, a section <laughs> on the cadaver synod. Yes. Yeah. But yes. It turns out that not all of this is like that. That was a quote from something else. So oh. that just, I was like, oh, well, there you go. Yep. I saw that poem when we were researching for this episode and went, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I went through it. I was like, okay, if it's good, then I will talk about it. I will subject myself to it. But no. So let's rate this thing. How do we feel about the Kids Averson musical overall? Overall, I need to give that to three a three i think that's that's a good rating for it because i i felt like it was a journey i was really excited about it before we started i love musicals i love papal history if you had told me that there was a cadaver in a musical and that was all the information i would have had 10 if we couldn't get any of the footage 10 right just yeah. the yeah. concept of a it. 10 um but the yes. concept is a 10 for sure i don't think that I think they were onto something clever, but I don't think it matched up to expectations. So it's going to be like a three for me. You make me feel shameful. <laughs> shameful. <laughs> it's just where we're at. It, it went downhill as it went. Like the quality puns um, yeah. went early. Um, yes. yes. And then just it went downhill. Like the pornocracy song was surprisingly good, if historically inaccurate. And then when you get whatever whatever Steven's song was doing. Uh. Yeah, it feels like they just wanted to make the pornocracy yeah. song. Yeah, definitely. Yes. I think it was it was in that vein of of like it was written really well in the beginning. And maybe they were like, oh, we have to finish. And so that's that's the feel. That's so. where their budget came in at a quarter of what they were hoping for. Exactly. Yes. The Very first bad. part was already done at that point. So what's your final rating? If we had just gotten the first five minutes, it would have been much better. But uh, yeah, I'm going to have to go with three. Yeah. I think uh, so. We all agree. It does not make me want to feel shapeable. No. There's somewhat of a lean towards a two, but I don't want to discourage people from making cadaver scented musicals. True. So that brings us to our final thing that we're here to review and talk about today. And, and Greg, do you want to introduce it here? You found it. Yes. Yes, I did. I, I went through the dark pages of the internet, and trust me, folks, we had uh, more stuff on here. We had a D20 at the ready for random websites. I do have to give a shout out to my friends at the uh, like random pet care site that in their FAQs <laughs> had stuff on Formosa. Unfortunately, I can't give you a link to it, and the internet archive didn't pick it up, and it is replaced with just absolute randomness. This is a really weird website that has like 15,000 articles, but one of them was reasonably in-depth, a straight-up, seemed to be written by a human with knowledge of the thing, FAQ on Pope Formosus, in this pet care website that was otherwise 100% about pet care. I don't know what happened. <laughs> so Some weird. sort of algorithm. Anyways, my second favorite find of this research, because I think I think uh, Brie had already come across the uh, Cadaver Synod musical, so I can't take credit for that. But my second yeah. favorite of my finds for this was Cadaver Synod the Beer, um, in part because I just just the concept, and they appeared to actually care about the material. They weren't just taking the name. They got three fingers off. Um, I don't care how you count the thumb or whatever, but like they did their research. I even looked. It was the three fingers on the right hand, which one of them the one doing the blessing. Yeah. And it was fantastic. And then uh, Bree did the, uh, the legwork from there. So, well, that was partially because I said, by the way, this is only available where you are. Yeah. So have fun. <laughs> So, so here's the thing about this cadaver scented beer that we found. It is from Wild Ambition Brewery, which is in Kelowna, BC. This is a brewery, like I am in BC, and this is only available in BC. So it was quite funny, especially because I'm the one who doesn't drink. But he's like, hey, you could find this. 
And so we went on a bit of a journey. So first off, let's talk about this brewery for a second because I ended up talking to them and figured it deserved a little bit of a shout out here. They are a brewery in Kelowna that focuses on, quote, bottle conditioned mixed fermentation ales and prides themselves on their wild and creative flavor profiles. And given why we're talking about them, I'd say so. They use a lot of local ingredients as much as they can. And since they're situated in the interior of BC, that means fruit country. And that means they have a lot of fruit beers. So plums, cherries, peaches, all of these things are very present. The Cadaver Synod beer is described as a barrel-aged Oud Bruin style beer produced by blending three American oak wine barrels of dark sour, which have been re-fermented on 300 pounds of locally grown Balaton dark sour cherries from Jobs Hoff Orchards with two French oak wine barrels of a non-sour dark beer. The result is a beer that balances vanilla forward oak, chocolatey malt goodness, moderate tartness, and a borderline excessive amounts of delicious cherries. Now, because this beer wasn't technically being made at the time that we're making this episode and had gone out of stock everywhere, I contacted the brewery directly because they're not that far away from me. And I ended up having a conversation with Teresa Cashin, who is the co-owner of the brewery, who amazingly went out of her way to pull two cans out of their reserve and send them to me literally overnight. She also provided me with a response about how exactly they became inspired to make a cadaver synod beer. So these are Teresa's words. This beer was originally a special Halloween release. Not a surprise there. <laughs> we, had a, we had this awesome Oud Bruin with an amazing local cherries that we wanted to associate with something spooky. And as history nerds, the Cadaver Synod immediately came to mind as an appropriately spooky, but also absolutely absurd historical event. We knew that we could develop an interesting label concept and had a local artist sketch out a skeleton hand with three severed fingers to represent one of Formosus's punishments. And we made a pattern for the background of the label using the carpet design in the 1870 painting by Jean-Paul Lorraine. It was such a popular combination. The painting. The painting. The good painting. It was such a popular combination of flavors and story that we now do this beer whenever we have cherries and Oud Bruin barrel stock available at the same time. So we got two cans. And since I don't drink, I had my husband taste it for you. And we'll put in here his little <laughs> summary of trying the beer. Okay, so I have brought my husband onto the podcast to actually try this beer for me because I am the worst possible person it could have been sent to. So say hello, Jordan. Hey, everyone. Now he's going to actually try it live for you. It smells fruity. I can smell it from here. Wow, that's not like any beer I've ever had before. I mean, you definitely can taste the cherries. That's the first thing you taste, but... Yeah, it smells really fruity. Yeah, it's very tart. That's it's, what it is like. Yeah. It's, it's actually quite good. It smells more like a wine. Well, yeah. It's, <laughs> honestly, it's, it's a beer I've never tried. Be like, Is it oaky? Do you taste the barrels? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I definitely get the, like, the hints of chocolate in it. And like you can kind of get a little bit of vanilla, but the cherries come through big time. Like I'm tasting a lot of cherries here. Well, it did describe it as borderline excessive <laughs> amount of delicious cherries. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, there you go. And these are Kelowna cherries. So they're local. <laughs> You're a big cherry girl after all. <laughs> oh, no. My secrets are revealed. Oh, I cannot wait. I love cherry beer. It smelled like cherries the minute he opened the can. So Fry's going to love this. <laughs> he said it was like so cherry forward and, and their description is borderline excessive. So you are going to love it. I am so ready for the borderline excessive cherries. Yeah, he, he definitely said that was an accurate description. So I'm not going to rate based on Jordan's taste test because I didn't taste it. I don't drink, but I want to base it. Nine. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be really high here just based on my experience. I'm giving Teresa and the brewery and the effort they went to not only for helping us out, but also like the thoughtfulness of the label 
and the work they put into making it accurate and not just throwing a cool name on it. I'm going to give them a 10. Yeah, okay. You know what? I'm going to give them a 9. In anticipation. <laughs> in anticip- it might be a 10 if I drink it. I need to put it in my face hole first. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I was like, I got it. It's a 9. I got to <laughs> save that last point for if I know how it tastes. And that's fair. And I'm rating, I'm giving them that extra point based on their total hospitality towards me because I'll never know how it tastes. Well, and you're not going to find out how it tastes for a variety of reasons. So that's fair. No, but I can say that as somebody who doesn't appreciate the smell of beer, it was a nicer smelling beer. So it did give me a positive response. It did not offend you. (laughs) It did not offend me. So yeah, I'm very pleased with that overall experience. I do have one little bonus thing. Okay. I just wanted to let you know that I looked into the Synodus Horrendus, the uh, Latin for the uh, Synod. And of course, you know, the Synod part is pretty straightforward. Synodus, mm-hmm. that's like Harry Potter level translation. Um, but <laughs> Horrendus, I knew like, you know, the uh, monstra in Latin um, is, you know, it's not necessarily just the root word for monster. It's also the root word for monstrance because it means to show. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, you know, something you can't help but look at is a monster. So I was like, I wonder if horrendous, it doesn't necessarily just mean horrible because it sounds like that. So I looked into the etymology and horeo, and you'll have to forgive me, I did take four years of Latin, but it's been a while. <laughs> but uh, horeo means more along the lines of like to dread or to be afraid of. Rather than, you know, horrible, which is where your mind normally goes. So when you look at that actual Latin word, I think one of the, probably the best translation I can offer with my meager Latin abilities is to call this the Spooky Synod. So I just thought I'd give that to you as a little present. Yes. Yes. I just, I just clapped out of, out of pleasure. So that's going to make your editing time not fun. (laughs) But yes, I love it. The Spooky Synod. So, well, that's my gift to you. I was like, oh my goodness, I love it. That is the perfect gift to end on because we have reached the end of our journey through the Spooky Synod, the Synodus Horrenda, the Cadaver Synod, and all of the crazy things that have been inspired by it since. I hope you enjoyed this journey with us. I certainly did. There's there's no reason to ever stop talking about the Cadaver Synod because we won't. The church certainly didn't. The popes certainly didn't. (laughs) And it's going to be with us for a really long time. And so that's a beautiful note to end on where we can say thank you for listening and goodbye. Goodbye. Talk about things that give you a reputation. Goodbye. (laughs) Pontifax is edited by Greg Gassman. You can find his show, Popular History, on all major podcatching platforms. And keep an eye out for his new show, Arexipod Ranking Cardinals, Cardinal Numbers. You can also reach Greg at popularhistory at gmail.com. Get it? It's popular, but with an E, for the Popes. Ohio, how dare you?